right, all right, come on back over. If you're gathering your coffee, if you're saying your greetings and hello, come on back in, find your spot. We're going to jump into God's Word together. Give you a minute to do that here. I love that we want to spend time talking with each other and know that you can hang around after and spend some time together. Keep encouraging one another. Keep praying for one another. As always, you know, if you need prayer or anything like that, after the service, we're, we're here for you, but also you're here for you. You're here for one another. So make sure you, if you need prayer, grab somebody and say, hey, can you pray with me? Can you encourage me? And maybe initiate that for somebody today before you leave. So we've got some music playing in the background. <laughs> So I'll sing my next part, if we can get that stopped. But this morning, um, we got the joy of having Paul Francisco share the Word of God with us. And for those of you who don't know who Paul is, let me just briefly introduce him. Paul, Joy, and their five kids have been attending our church since August, I believe, August of 2022. Um, but prior to joining us, Paul and his family, they've been serving in various pastoral roles, um, teaching theological education in cross-cultural missions context, which is awesome, and developing and devoting time every week to help interns at the BSF, the Bible, what is it, the Baptist Student Ministry, study the Word of God well. So investing in others to be able to teach the Word of God well, which is an incredible disciple-making thing to do. Um, Paul holds a Master's of Divinity with an emphasis in Great Commission Studies. So I expect us all to be sent out well today to go on mission for Christ from Southern Seminary. Uh, would you welcome Paul? with me, just to welcome him. Come on, Paul. Well, I'm thoroughly grateful for the opportunity to open up God's Word. If you have your Bibles, whether it's electronic or paper, or you can follow up here, please open them to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be reading this together. So following the, the lead of our pastor, Austin, I, would, I'm, I invite you to, to stand with me in the reading of God's holy word. We'll be reading the, the full Beatitudes from verse 2 through 12 together. Okay, so there we go. All right. And the Holy Spirit writes these words, beginning in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. I'm thinking particularly of our brother, Pastor Austin, and his wife, Julie, this morning, and their two children after traveling across the seas, and they are feeling ill this morning and couldn't be with us even though they intended to. I'm thinking about his mother and other family around here that have recently been diagnosed with cancer or other ailments, and I'm thinking about all of you on some level have particularly experienced 
the fallenness of this world, whether it's physically, emotionally, or mentally. So before we go into God's word, let us just pray one more time and ask the Holy Spirit to impart our hearts and, and lift up these requests before him. Father God, I am so thankful for the gift of life you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that we could have fellowship with one another because you first had fellowship with us. And Lord, we come before your throne of grace because through Jesus Christ, we're able to enter the holy holies based upon his precious blood and righteousness. This morning we ask as the great merciful physician that you would heal us. Heal us spiritually, emotionally, and physically this morning. Lord, I pray your servant here would decrease so that Christ would increase. And I pray this morning that we would be changed by your word knowing that you love us, that you are with us, and you desire good things for us. In Jesus' holy name, we do pray. Amen. So, some of you may know of a missionary. His name was Richard Wombrent. Uh, recently passed in the last couple years, but he was a pastor and a missionary during a time of great oppression and persecution in Romania. He founded the Voice of the Martyrs, and, and it is one of the things I like to read as part of my devotions. And I want to read for you what happened to fall for today's reading on Richard Wombrandt. A remaining pastor who suffered in prison for 14 years once told a story that he had heard from a fellow prisoner. He had helped him through, it had helped him through his most difficult times of torture. And the brother told him, I once went to a circus and witnessed the most impressive scene. A sharpshooter placed a burning candle on his wife's head. He then stepped out of the center of the arena and from quite a distance, shot the candle off her head. After the show was over, I approached her and asked if she was ever afraid the arrow would strike her. She replied, why should I be? He was aiming at the candle, not at me. When Pastor Wormbrand heard this story, he thought, why should I be afraid of the torturers? They don't aim at me. They may beat my body, but my real being is Christ within. I'm seated with him in the heavenly places, and therefore they cannot touch my real person. From this incredible viewpoint, I can look down and see the futility of their efforts. Pastor Wimbrandt lived through years of suffering and had near death many times. But he was encouraged with this simple lesson and even flourished spiritually because he knew his place was with Christ, was secure, no matter what happened to his body. You see, many of us have problems or suffering due to our sins. Some things we experience simply because we live in a fallen world. But brothers and sisters, this morning I want to share with you that I am convinced that if we want to see true revival in our times, we must be transformed by Christ, and live out these beatitudes Jesus points to in his Sermon on the Mount. Likewise, I'm persuaded that it's through the blood of the martyrs which the second coming of Christ will be ushered in. If we have received the blessing in which Jesus preaches about, in these Beatitudes, and they are true for us, then we will receive the rewards of heaven and Christ's salvation for us. See, over the past two months, we've heard from Pastor Austin and Pastor Luke, who have been able to teach us through the first seven Beatitudes of Jesus' infamous Sermon on the Mount. 
And each of these beatitudes are attributes that characterize the people of God who are in Christ. And each of these point to a blessing. Now we will look at the last and eighth beatitude that will come with a very heavy path to the blessing. The text tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are the persecuted. Now that's not something that we like to hear, is it? And what I want to do is I like to do when I teach God's word, I'd like to give you a little road map. And uh, I see it's up there for you. I'm going to give you three observations on the blessed. First, I want to show you, hopefully from this text, what the blessing is. Secondly, I want to show you through this text the persecution of the blessed and answer the question, why are we persecuted? Thirdly, the response and reward of the blessed and how we should be, respond in light of persecution and what is our hope in persecution. If you look at your Bibles closely in this particular text, you see the word blessed. And it appears nine times in our text. That should tell you something. Anytime you hear the word of God repeated in the Bible, it's meant to emphasize something of importance. But what does it mean? You see, this word is so usely, loosely used in our day and age, especially in social media. Everywhere we see this hashtag blessed. And it is so grossly Misunderstood. We see these postings of pictures and commentary from people describing their health and fitness and material possessions next to their Mercedes, hashtag unblessed, or their spouse, which is not a bad thing in itself, blessed, or their children, or this school, or you name your poison, blessed. And sometimes it's even used in such a way with the appearance of humility and presented, but reality, it's a false humility. Does it really mean health, wealth, and prosperity? Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. What about Christian women who cannot have children? Are they not blessed? Christian, what about our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ living in poverty around the world? Are they not blessed? Christian martyrs and persecuted for their faith, heads chopped off, thrown in prison, beaten, are they not blessed? You see, the word blessed can be defined as made holy or consecrated. Genesis 2-3 shows us what this means. It says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You see, beloved, blessed, set apart, holy, consecrated, is found in rest in Christ. So what is the blessing? Christ. Christ is the blessing. We are blessed because we are in Christ. In fact, if you look at all the Beatitudes, the entire list goes against the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Look at it there in your text if you have your Bible still open. The poor in spirit, being, being broken spiritually. Those who mourn, 
mourn in recognition of their sin in the fallenness of this world. The meek. Well, that goes against the grain of the only strong survive. What about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? It doesn't say a hunger for our own kingdom that will never, never satisfy. What about the merciful? Forgiving those who have done you wrong. The pure in heart, which means a pursuit of holiness, not, as the world will tell us, your self-worth, self-love, whatever is good for you. The peacemakers. In other words, doing the hard work of making peace. Not writing others off who don't see things the way you do. And then we come to what we'll look at specifically today, the persecuted. That's not a life of comfort and ease. All of these beatitudes are given to us by God through Christ. Reality, it's a heart transplant. It's a heart transplant that must take place. Removing our hearts of stone. I want you to consider the words of the prophet Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, you can look there or I'll just read it for you. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. The prophet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words through God and says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, beloved, we don't come to Christ when we got it all together or for our health, wealth, and prosperity. You come to him. You come to the one who gives you rest for your souls. And he, you come to the one who gives you the joy of his salvation. Now that's the blessing. We are blessed. Hear this, friends. We are blessed to be a blessing. Now, you might be looking at me and say, okay, that sounds good, Paul, but where do you get that from? I'm glad you asked. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, and I will make of you a great nation, speaking to Abraham, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a what? A blessing. A blessing. Did you see that? Our primary purpose in life is not about us. It's not about our glory. It is for the glory of God. I want you to hear this. This is a little off script here, but I think the Lord's speaking here. Husbands, the blessing is not so that you have a great spouse that you love and you can pour into. Wives, the blessing is not that you have a great husband that just leads and protects and vibes. Parents, the blessing and the goal is not that our children get a great education, get a great degree, find a great spouse, have 2.3 kids and a great house and a great job and a great career and buy into the American dream. The blessing is that they forsake all things for a great God. And nothing brings more glory when we are so satisfied in him that we live out our blessings to be a blessing to others. And unfortunately, the text tells us, and the reality is, the world will hate you for it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. When we seek to be a blessing... We will be persecuted for righteousness. What do rebellious people do? They respond wrongly. Those apart from Christ will persecute the blessed. After all, we are 
not greater than our master, who he himself was persecuted. Think about that word for a moment. Persecute. What does that mean? What do you think about what, what, when you hear that word? It can be defined as this. Someone who is subject to hostility, ill-treatment, especially because of their ethnicity, religion, or sexual orientation, or their political beliefs. You see, in our day and age, there are many forms of persecution that we can experience in our time. I want you to think about politics for a moment. You know, we can find ourselves on one side of the fence, whether we're Republicans, Democrats, Independents, whatever it is. And during the time of elections, there's a lot of political mudslinging going around. Attacks on one another's character and person. But beloved friends, I want you to remember this. God is the one who ordains kingdoms when they rise and when they fall. What about sexual orientation? Now, there's a lot that can be said about that, and there's a lot that can be said about it from God's perspective, right? We must recognize something if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus Christ. This sin, sexual perversion, if, if it is there, is not the unforgivable sin. I want you to know something. All peoples in all the earth were created in the image and likeness of God, the Imago Deo. All people have value. All people have worth. Let's think about religion for a moment. Meaning those who are being treated differently or even killed if they're, if they're not like everyone else. Conversion by the sword. Now, I know a lot of us may come to the point and think about is radical Islam, right? And it's not just with Islamic beliefs. I want you to think about the Crusades. Many of people were killed in the name of Christ. Religion does not save. Neither does it breathe forth life. There is a difference between religion and biblical Christianity. I want you to think about ethnicity, right? This is a very controversial thing in our day and age. We live where this issue has become massively controversial. And I'll just say this, racism is evil. However, the persecution that Jesus is speaking of is none of these. None of these. You know what the reason is? Righteousness. Righteousness, a love for God, is the persecution. So what does this look like? If you look at verses 3 through 9, let's kind of break it down a little bit contextually. The poor in spirit, meaning being spiritually bankrupt. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, he says, This is the message. We've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Becoming spiritually bankrupt means we must acknowledge our sin and our need of a great God. Look about those who mourn. What are they mourning over? They mourn over sin and the effects of sin. You know, death, when we cry over our loved ones, death is the result of sin. We die because of sin, and it hurts. 
Rightfully so. The shortest verse in all the Bible says Jesus wept over Lazarus. Oh, praise God. Where is your sting, O death? The Apostle Paul tells us. And the death of sin produces life. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Mourning our sin produces true comfort. Knowing nothing can separate us from the love of God. I think of those words that the Apostle Paul said at the, at the end of chapter 8. He says, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, where any creature could separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? What about the meek, the gentle, the lowly, humbled? Meaning to respond with a tender heart like Christ. Think of Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. It says, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father the Lord of heaven and earth, who have hidden these things from the wise in understanding and revealed them to little children. That's you, my brothers and sisters. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed out over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he says those comforting words, come to me. Come to me when you get it all together. No. Come to me when you're without sin. Come to me when you're happy. No, he says, come to me. The only thing that qualifies you to come to Jesus, brothers and sisters, is your sin and the need of a Savior. And he says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. And I shall give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, meek, humble in heart. At the very heart of Christ is his gentleness is his meekness, is his love and humility for sinners. And he says, come to me, and you'll find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Friends, at the very heart of Christianity, there should be a desire to grow in righteousness. If that desire is not there, you might not be a Christian. I want you to think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 24, verses 4 through 5. He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing." from the Lord, and righteousness from God of his salvation. See, many of us ask what the will of God is, especially when it comes to our decisions in life, right? Who wants to know what the will of God is for your life? I know I do, but guess what? We're not left having to guess. If you go right to the word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, be sanctified. It says, be holy. Then there's the merciful. In light of God's mercies, we pursue to imitate mercy to those who don't deserve it. Does that sound like anyone you know? This is why Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7. Right? Matthew 18, 
talking about sin, and Peter comes to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What did Jesus reply with? No, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times, seven times, or 77 times, right? I want you to think of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. One of the dearest verses to me personally that helps speak to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It, the Apostle Paul, depending on what translation you have, you know, the old King James, I beseech you, brethren, <laughs> right? Or I urge you, brothers. I plead with you, listen to me, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Have you really considered the mercies of God in your life? I want you to think back on your life before coming to know Christ. Everything, everything in your life has been sovereignly orchestrated to the point of bringing you to him. This is that big theological word we call justification. And really what all that means is that's the point when you become a child of God. And everything that happened was not a mistake. It was part of God's sovereign plan to bring you to him. Not because you're great, because he's great. Not because you're merciful, because he is merciful. And then I want you to listen to this, beloved. Everything that is happening in your life now, still up to this very moment, is being sovereignly worked together. It's doing something. It's not wasted. Everything happening in your life right now, whatever pain, whatever ailment, whatever sickness, whatever joy, whatever thing that makes you mad, whatever irritation you have, the person in your life that bugs you so much, it's all doing something. Nothing is wasted. It's doing something for a greater weight, a greater glory. And it's that theological word called sanctification, meaning you're growing as a child of God. Now this is the kind of forgiving mercy the Lord desires from us. Then he tells us to be pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. In other words, pursuit of holiness. Again, righteousness. A right relationship with God and others. A consistent integration of who you are in all aspects of life. We don't separate the secular from the sacred. It is all aspects of life of who you are in the very essence of who Christ has brought you and sealed you by the Holy Spirit. This is a clear righteousness after God's own heart. Austin was preaching a few weeks ago. He was talking about this. And he said, external fruit does not always reflect what is happening internally. Isn't that the reality that a lot of us live in? But I want you to, you can turn with me here. I'm going to actually read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is how we will fulfill our purpose of glorifying God in verses 1 through 8. Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, he talks about a life pleasing to God. And then, inspired by the Spirit, God's Word says for us, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, and I would just add self-control altogether in that, in holiness, in honor, not in the passions of the lust like the Gentiles, that's us dirty dogs, who do not know God, 
that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is how we fulfill the purpose and will of God and glorify him in our lives. Then the text tells us about the peacemakers, right? Not war. Peace from God, as Luke told us last week, is separated from man because of sin. You see, these are the very people, the Jews in this time and age, were living in a time separated from peace. They were living in a time of oppression from Roman rule. And this shalom only comes from God. This is why Romans 5.1 tells us the peace of God coming only from Jesus Christ. And friends, beloved, all these attributes, all these characteristics are a focus on the two greats. The great commandment and the great commission. All of them come from these two things. And nothing brings him more glory when we love him and others. We are to love God with all our beings. This is why the Apostle Paul argues for us in Romans 12:1 to offer our bodies. Because when we do so, we will love others as we are called to do. I, I love what one commentary says here. He says, the moments we are saved by the gospel of Christ, we become indebted to all peoples of the world to preach it. We will not witness to the gospel if we have never experienced its transforming power in our lives. Friends, if we preach the gospel and live this out, the world will shame us. In our schools, in our vocations, we will experience mocking. And as the Apostle Paul says, let us not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, when he shows us through what he writes here, is that Jesus refused to let shame control him. Hebrews 12 too. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder of, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you see that? And that, Christian, is something worth being persecuted for. Wombrandt also wrote this, persecution, though painful, has its limits. Neither physical torment or emotional trauma can destroy the deepest parts of who we are. What we carry on in the inside is the most valuable part of ourselves, our souls. Christ's spirit lives within us and protects our soul from emotional and physical harm. We've been sealed, brothers and sisters. The gospel presented in the church should be made beautiful. This comes from both the power of God and how that power affects us in gospel community with others. Gospel doctrine coupled with gospel culture is prophetic. Francis Schaeffer wrote it this way, one can't explain the explosive dynamite of the early church from, apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously. The orthodoxy of doctrine and community in which the world could see. You see, by the grace of God, the church must be known for its purity of doctrine and reality in its community. The love of God in practice is both beautiful and must be present. So how do we respond to this truth? We must recognize that our new life in Christ comes with certainties. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, friends, we should praise God that we have been counted worthy to serve for him, worthy to be persecuted for his namesake. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute here. I'm not talking about a self-desire for martyrdom or affliction on yourself. However, we are promised suffering in this life as believers. We're not greater than our master. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, you would love, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they know they do not know him who sent me. However, we must take heart, because verse 10 and 12 tell us, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come to him, to the one who is gentle and lowly at heart. Are you struggling with sin? Are you suffering? Come to him, to the one who will give you rest for your souls. However, now listen to this, friends. There is a warning for us through these Beatitudes. First, if you have not received Christ, there is no blessing. There is only wrath being stored up against you. Secondly, if these Beatitudes are not reflective in your life, you just might not be a Christian. I don't know your hearts. God does. Some of us have never really ever experienced any persecution because we don't look any different from the world. I want you to consider your own life. What do you think about Jesus' attitude toward that dark pocket of your life that only you know? The over-dependence upon alcohol. The loss, temper, time, and time again. The shady business about your finances. Then an it people-pleasing that looks like to others is niceness, but which you know to be fear of man. The entrenched resentment that burst out behind the back accusations. The habitual use of pornography. You name your poison. Hidden from everyone. But friends, listen. None of this is hidden from God. God is not passive, but he's active in this world. God must and does punish sin and evil. God cannot be holy and not be angry at evil. Scripture speaks more about God's wrath and hell than love. Did you know that? In fact, Jesus spoke more about judgment and hell than anyone else in all of Scripture. See, no one has a problem with the love of God, right? But when we start talking about the reality of judgment, we cringe. Did you know the Sermon on the Mount was filled with warnings about divine wrath and judgment? Right at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, he concludes in verse 29 through 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole, than your whole body to go into hell. You see, friends, it's not until man can see the depths of our sin when we can see the unmeasurable grace of Christ's love for us. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, if we saw with deeper clarity just how insidious and pervasive and revolting sin is, we would know that human evil calls for an intensity, a judgment of divine portion. Therefore, the Lord's wrath is totally justified. We all deserve it due to our sin. We all do. Me, you, all of us. But judgment and condemnation in hell is where we all belong. However, 
Whenever you see in scripture, that word's but God, right? However, there is good news. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what the fruit of God's redeeming love is? His fruit, the fruit of his redeeming grace? It's repentance and belief. We must come to a place where we are broken, spiritually bankrupt. We mourn over our sin and the sins of the world where we become meek, humbled by his grace. We hunger and thirst for his righteousness when we can receive his great mercy and forgiveness. Given a new heart, a pure heart of flesh that beats for Christ, grasping the peace of God that compels us and the world will hate us for it. We will be like the stench of death. We live in a world where there's approximately 7.8 billion people. Statistically, only 1.1, this includes Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and all those who call themselves to be Christian. 1.1 billion are claimed Christianity in any form. So we know it's much lower than that. We should not be okay with nearly 7 billion people perishing into eternity, never knowing the name of Jesus Christ. It should not rest well with our souls. Yet, don't go to that land. They might kill you. But who is Jesus in those moments? Christ rises up. And he defends your cause based on the merits of his own sufferings and death. Your salvation is not merely a matter of saving formula, but because of a saving person. John Bunyan wrote, Satan had the first word, but Christ had the last. Satan must be speechless after the plea of our advocate, Jesus, our comforting, comforting defender, the one nearer than we know. And his heart is such that he stands and speaks in our defense when we sin, not after we get over it. For those of you who do not belong to Christ, your sin does evoke wrath. But for those in Christ, we are forgiven and we receive and enter the kingdom of heaven by his blood, his righteousness, who cleanses us. And by his wounds, we're given the great reward. Here we enter into the most profound mysteries of who God is in Christ. Not only are his holiness and sinfulness being mutually exclusive, in other words, they're, they're totally separate from each other, sinfulness, holiness, but Christ being perfectly holy knows and feels the horror of sin more deeply than any of us. But, so also the purity of his heart. He is drawn out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. His holiness finds those who belong to him. Our sins evoking holy longing, holy love, and holy tenderness, he is loving you and only hating the sin. His hatred shall fall and the only upon the sin to free you of it by its ruin and destruction because his affections shall be drawn out to you. Friends, let us remember, let us recognize the seriousness of sin, yet let us hope in the one who nailed sin on the cross. I love the Puritans because they know how to strike deep to the heart. One Puritan wrote this in capturing the Father's perspective and love for us. He says, now I will manifest the fierceness of my heart to Christ and the fullness of my love to believers. The pain shall be his, that the ease and rest be theirs. 
The stripes his in the healing balm issuing for them theirs. The condemnation his in the justification theirs. The reproach and shame his in the honor and glory theirs. The curse his in the blessing theirs. The death his in life theirs. The vinegar and, vinegar and gall his and the sweet of it theirs. He shall groan and they shall triumph. He shall mourn that they may rejoice. His heart, heart, heart shall be heavy for a time that theirs may be light and glad forever. He shall be forsaken that they may never be forsaken. Out of the worst of miseries to him shall spring the sweetest mercies to them. Christian, remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and respond to the gospel man demand today by praying for gospel fruit in your lives. Living in the gospel obedience and being eager to preach the gospel to all who would hear. Testify to the hope that lies within you. Friend, if you're deep in sorrow and in sins in life, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Come to Christ today who is gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to the Savior today and look to Jesus Christ and when you come to Christ for mercy and love and helping your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. As the worship team comes, I like to end with the word of God speaking about this blessing. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, it's up there too. God's word for God's people says, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth and in him we have obtained an inheritance we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him, you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Praise be to God, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I encourage you right now to stand with us and sing, but if there's something in your life that the Lord and his spirit's tugging on you, and you just need to get down on your knees right now and pray and ask him for grace and mercy, do so. This song, and it's been a while since I've sung in front of people, so bear with me says, he will hold me fast. He will hold you fast. So come to him. Let us sing together.